Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 124. So historically, this has been, I guess, a sector that's been dominated by banks and they do remain prominent. But institutional investors, insurers, pension funds and other asset managers are increasingly active in this space, either directly or via bank distribution. And in terms of returns, trade finance can be very broad, ranging from working capital facilities for a blue tip between 20 basis points all the way to smaller SMEs north of 15% per annum. Hi, and welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Mark Abrams, Global Head of Trade and Receivables Finance at Trade Finance Global. Trade finance has always been an important aspect of international trade. Since humans started trading, they needed finance. And while it's a historic industry, it's currently undergoing significant change. Trade finance as an asset class is an exciting topic that is drawing the attention of many. And banks are rethinking distribution strategies, and we're seeing new barriers to capital that are continuously emerging but there are solutions. So Trade Finance Global has noticed that these issues and decided to take action. We as a company have started TFG Distribution Finance, looking to build asset books for existing and new funders. TFG Distribution Finance allows us to match in a unique way requirements of borrowers and available capital using our deep knowledge of the trade finance industry. But this is just one exciting example of innovation in our space. And I'm joined by a panel of experts who will help break down the other emerging initiatives that will drive our industry in the next few years. So Salman Matthew, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Please, could you introduce yourselves and just explain what you're doing? Thank you very much, Mark. I'll, I'll go ahead first, if that's okay, Matt. So my name is Salman Khan. I'm a portfolio manager in Santander Alternative Investments specifically for the strategy that focuses on trade and working capital investments. And I'm Matt Taylor. I head the alternative debt team at Elgin, and I also am the fund manager of a short-dated fund investing in trade finance. Thank you very much. And Salman, to start off with, trade finance is often referred to as an exciting asset class. Why is trade finance attractive to investors? In my opinion, the asset class gathers a set of conditions that has for a long been sought by investors in the market with added differentiators from traditional fixed income in the form of short duration, little to no correlation, and diversification, amongst others. All of this provides an alpha over traditional fixed income products. We're seeing more demand in the asset class. We're seeing a lot of new institutions come into the market. But typically, who are the main investors for trade finance? And is this changing? So historically, this has been, I guess, a sector that's been dominated by banks and they do remain prominent. But institutional investors, insurers, pension funds, and other asset managers are increasingly active in this space, either directly or via bank distribution. And in particular, the latter, where banks are looking to manage their risk limits, obtain market pricing reference points, and importantly, just recycle capital. But also, you have the issuance side where they're looking to diversify away from just being reliant solely on banks. We've clearly seen issues in banks, so regional banking space in the U.S., we're seeing a real sort of headway where issuers are keen to you know, diversify their funding sources you know, rather than just being all their eggs being in one basket. And Salman, in brief, can you just explain what distinguishes this asset class in terms of risk, reward and duration versus other asset classes? So in terms of risk, the working capital lines are arguably senior to any other debt in the company structure in the context of priority of payment. 
bottom line is that working capital is our day-to-day operations, which have ceased to be paid, lead to a subsequent collapse of the rest of the capital structure. So that's in terms of risk. In terms of duration, companies working capital are typically below 90 days, depending on the company size and working capital cycle. But this provides a lot of turnover of the portfolio, reducing duration risk. And in terms of returns, trade finance can be very broad, ranging from working capital facilities for blue tip between 20 basis points all the way to smaller SMEs, north of 15% per annum, depending on counterparty and structural risk. So you've got a full array of risk profile uh, to suit the needs of each investor. And Matt, obviously we've got our own views, but what do you perceive as, as the main barriers preventing more peers from entering this space? There are probably three main barriers, but there are others. And the first is awareness and education for what is a very broad church of opportunities. Under the trade finance banner, yeah, there's little standardization. So in a sense, what we call trade finance actually covers a multitude of products. There's the ability to assess the credit risk. Yeah, these are largely unrated products, unless you're talking about you know, things at a very, very high investment grade end where it's relatively straightforward. Where the credit risk is often more complex, yeah, there's sometimes seller risk or there's more of a securitization approach. Ultimately, those without an internal credit team would struggle to play unless they could do it via another asset manager. And then there's the operational intensity. I know sort of a, I guess someone on the, as in fund manager, often you can ignore that, but many private credit investors are set up to manage one to two investments per month. But given the short dated nature of this asset, it can be two or more a week. Although a programmatic approach, if we can work with a bank or others to create a longer term note that an investor can buy, whilst any receivables churn behind the scenes can remove that issue. And so, uh, and agree that a large part comes to education. So Simon, what type of education initiatives do you think are required to assist with a better understanding of trade finance? Well, I think events such as Investor Days are, are indeed very helpful in getting investors to familiarize themselves with general concepts and investors slowly getting to grips with this new asset. There is a good segue into the consolidation via standardization of investments and trade working capital. Standardization in the form of a standard investment offering from both asset managers and from asset originators, which us as asset managers purchase assets from. And on that, Matt, can you discuss the spectrum of risk and return within trade finance, particularly focusing on how your approach differs depending on the assets? As Salman touched on in terms of the returns available, essentially this space offers something for everyone. Ultimately, you have investment grade only funds. They can target the very, very high investment grades to deeply sub-investment grade and everything in between. There's the simple, where there's a clean risk to a single buyer, you know, giving senior unsecured exposure to just one credit. And there's a complex where it might be a trade receivable securitization, taking risk on a diversified pool of buyers, or it could be providing junior capital to a bank loan book. In a sense, there's many different ways of addressing this space. At Elgin, we focus essentially on the investment grade space, covering from the spectrum from simple to complex to best suit individual client risk return requirements. And obviously, in a sense, we do try and ensure we're comfortable with the underlying credit risk without credit insurance. Even though we do do transactions with credit insurance, it's a nice to have rather than a must have. There's a lot of noise, a lot of different concepts. And for new investors coming into this space, for us, the main importance is understanding both from an originator and an asset funder perspective. You mentioned we were talking about moving into standardization and understanding. Could you elaborate on its importance for both those originators and asset funders? I think this is key for the development of this asset class. If you look at us as an alternative to fixed income, fixed income is typically very well defined in the types of risks and returns that investors are looking for. So for investors to feel comfortable with this asset class, standardization, in my opinion, is key. Investors need to be able to assess who are the main market participants and analyze investment opportunity on a like-for-like basis. And on the Similarly, for us as asset managers, we would benefit to a large extent in the standardization. 
And the reason I say that is because more often than not, you see that different originators provide assets in different formats, and there seems to be a lack of a norm. So I think the standardization in the way we as asset managers purchase assets would benefit the asset class as a whole. Completely agree. And that's very helpful. Thank you both for, for coming on today. Look forward to seeing you at the Investor Day and speak soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.